Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. Gotta make hay while the sun shines. What's this? This is Hello, Sunshine. What if by sharing our stories, we could change the world? Welcome to Hello, Sunshine. I'm Diane Guerrero, and this is How It Is, the show where you hear women tell their own stories in their own words. We're unfiltered, real, and totally ourselves. Today, we are here to talk about time. Yep, the stuff we never have enough of. You're a queen. Watch I got my license recently. Yes, yes. I am a 32-year-old woman who just passed her first driver's test. Woohoo! <laughs> Beware. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone's totally safe. Now that I'm on the road, all I can think of is, what is the big effing rush? Why is everyone freaking out while driving? What is the emergency? Honestly, sir, did you really need to honk at me and then proceed to give me the middle finger because I was protecting my own life and yours? I mean, seriously, unless you're a fire truck or an ambulance, there is no emergency. You do not need to be up my ass. We're all just trying to get where we're going. Anywho, time. It's kind of all we have, but we also don't have that much of it. We're always desperate to save a few minutes here, a few minutes there. For me, time creates a pressure to reach certain goals. Not in traffic, but in life. My parents are aging, this world is unpredictable, and I want to be able to provide for them while they're here, not to mention make my own family. I just feel hurried a lot, and I know I'm not alone. Rushed. Work makes me feel rushed. I feel the most rushed when, you know, people put pressure on you for kind of silly deadlines that don't really mean anything, but it still gives you that kind of slight anxiety or, or rush feeling. I feel like I'm running out of time. Like I should be father and... All the time I can't tell time at all. If I have to be somewhere at 11.30, I usually leave my house at 11.30, and that causes a lot of hurriedness in me. (laughs) So, let's slow down and have a legit conversation on how we value the minutes and days and years of our life. We're talking to Maria Menounos about how your definition of time can change. Neurologist May Kim Tenzer about what it means when minutes are the difference between life and death. And finally, with Eve Rodsky, who is researching the ways that women's time, particularly at home, is not valued and what we can actually do about it. Maria Menounos is someone whose relationship to time has changed a lot in the past couple of years. For most of her life, it felt like she didn't have enough of it. A few years ago, her mom was diagnosed with brain cancer. Then she made the decision to freeze her eggs and go through in vitro fertilization treatments. Then in 2017, Maria was diagnosed with a brain tumor herself. At the time, she was filling her literal every waking moment with work. 
from her hosting jobs at E! News and Sirius XM to writing for her Every Girl book series to running her online broadcasting company after Buzz TV. Managing her own illness and caring for her mom helped Maria realize that she actually can't do it all. And that's okay. I honestly think a lot of my fears with time were coming from wanting to do it all. And, you know, the myth of the perfect woman and the myth of the perfect woman who does it all and can have it all. And that's just bullshit. It's just not possible. And anybody who's telling you that is selling you a bag of goods and is probably really miserable inside and doesn't even realize it. I wanted to be everything to everyone. I wanted to be the girl that was on top of answering everybody and helping everyone and doing everything, saying yes to everything. And it was killing me slowly. Growing up, I mean, I spent my time cleaning nightclubs with my parents, to be honest, and that was 365 days a year. You know, if we wanted to celebrate a holiday, we all had to pitch in and work to get out of there so that we could go see family and have some kind of holiday. So working hard was bread from go. I started fertility treatments probably three years ago now. Bless her heart, my doctor knew that my schedule was intense. I had radio, I had TV, I had my network, I had a book. I mean, I mean, it's never ending. I always took on everything. She knew I had 10 to 15 minutes max a day for these IVF appointments. And so it was like in and out, like as quick as possible. I went to work the day of my surgery. I got my eggs retrieved and I wanted to show the younger hosts what it means to be dedicated to your job and to not just call in sick when you have the sniffles. And so... I asked the doctor before surgery, I said, hey, can I go to work after? Our ratings are up. I, I can't, we can't lose momentum. I got to be there. And she said, no, I've never seen anything like that before. She's like, you're going under anesthesia. This is a major situation. She goes, I actually have seen one woman do it. She was a firefighter. And I said, well, if she can do it, I can do it. That was always my motto. If she can work 100 hours a week, I can work 100 hours a week. If he can do you know, this, I can do that. Not really <laughs> thinking that this isn't really the way to approach something that is going to require creating <laughs> a life. <laughs> and the reason why I wasn't able to create a life on my own is because my body was under so much stress. It's an interesting thing to look back on because it's just, again, a symptom of, you know, not feeling like you have any time. And really not having any time because, trust me, I, I knew how to squeeze time out of my day. My recent health stuff, I'll call it, <laughs> brain tumor experiences uh, has changed my perspective on everything, but definitely time included. I didn't want to live feeling like I don't have enough time anymore because it was a very high anxiety state to be in at all times. And, you know, going through life feeling like there isn't enough of anything is not a good feeling, right? That you don't have enough time or enough money or any of that. That's operating from a fear point 
and nothing good comes from that. So I changed everything. I actually was starting to change it before my brain tumor because I had my mom's brain tumor. That was another brick that hit me from the sky. I created an out-of-office email that responds to everyone who emails me. And this was months before I found out I had a brain tumor. And it says something like, thank you for this email. I will rarely be checking emails from this point forward because I'd like to focus on my life and my projects more than playing (laughs) Pac-Man all day at my computer or on my iPhone. And what that did for me was it set boundaries for my time because I was spending my day playing Pac-Man, like I said, responding to the demands of everyone else. And by the time I was done doing that, I was exhausted. I hadn't done anything that I needed to do. I wasn't moving any of my projects forward, which was leaving me unfulfilled and unhappy and stressed. And so I, I knew I needed to set new boundaries and it made such a difference. What people don't realize is when you get a terrible diagnosis, like brain cancer or brain tumor or something, the world stops for you and nothing else matters. And guess what? Somehow the world just kept on going and everything worked out without me. (laughs) So my company at AfterBuzz TV kept on going without me. E! kept on going without me. SiriusXM kept on going without me. Everything was fine. And so if we don't remember that in our everyday, that if you're not feeling well or you're overwhelmed, take a minute to, to meditate and catch your breath. I remember a moment where I was really stressed and I said, you know what? I'm going to put everything down. Whereas normally I would let it escalate and then I'd be, <laughs> and then I'd be like, no, I've got to get it done now. <laughs> now when I'm escalating, I go sit in my yard where I'm grounded and there's nature and I'll close my eyes. Even if you give yourself five minutes to de-escalate all of those crazy things inside of you, everything changes. Everybody around me has seen a difference in me and who I am. It's funny, I, I, I say that I feel like a lot of layers have been shedding because we cocoon ourselves more and more and more with all the negativity that occurs along your journey, right? All the traumas that come along. It's like you're cocooning yourself more and more and you're getting dusty and dirty through the battle and all of it's shedding. And now my true self is back. My true self has been hidden in this journey because you just get beaten up along the way. And frick. And it's hard to be a woman through all of it because... They definitely put you in positions to feel like you're not enough. And I am owning my power now because I'm not coming from a fearful position. And I made that decision after this surgery because I remember being in the hospital recovering and saying to my husband, like, I don't want that life anymore. That life made me so unhappy. At some point in... This last year in my recovery, I realized that I I felt like I had a secret that nobody else knew. And the secret was that none of this matters. What matters is 
your health, your happiness, the people that you love. At the end of the day, if you got a terrible diagnosis tomorrow, all you would want is to be with the people that you love. But I want to spread that so that other people can hopefully have a route to get there without the despair or the the pain of having to get ill to get there. I don't fear a lot anymore. And I see it and sometimes that makes me afraid. (laughs) Because I'm like, I don't care if I'm on TV again. If I am, great. If I'm not, eh. And sometimes I'll look at my husband and I'm like, am I being stupid? (laughs) But I think uh, time for me is, is now just a gift. I don't look at it in a negative way anymore. I just see it as a gift. I mean, first of all, I've I've had so much respect for you, Maria. Obviously, a Boston native. Woohoo! We're both from Boston, and um, to see how you've been able to carry out your career as a woman in this world is truly admirable. And my aunt used to say, "Todo en la vida." Se puede arreglar, menos la muerte. What that means is everything in life we can fix, but death. Death is one that you cannot fix. Real talk, I feel lots of pressure about making a family and a career and which comes first and when. I have a lot of people who rely on me. Do I freeze my eggs? Do I have to reach a certain career milestone before I make a different decision? So hearing Maria's words on everything else kept going, she took time for herself, the time that she needed, and her book was still happening. Her radio show still happened. The E! News show kept happening. And that's the fear, I think, we all, that everything is going to go away. Everything is going to go away. No, not everything goes away. And if you don't take care of yourself, that is the thing that could go away. You can go away. That's really where our focus should be is on ourselves, making sure that we're healthy. Maria has the secret. And now we do too. I think it's pretty safe to say that most of us don't have jobs that deal with life and death situations on the regular. Well, for Dr. May Kim Tenzer... That's not the case. She's a neurologist who treats people who've had strokes, spinal cord injuries, and other critical conditions. In her line of work, minutes can mean the difference between life and death. That means she has to make lightning-quick decisions involving the brain. What happens to your perspective on time when your professional time is under so much pressure? And how do you manage time in your personal life? when your work is all about urgency and speed. I fear um, running out of time all the time. Time is so short. It's almost kind of a constant reminder because of the work that I do and what I see in the ICU, especially when I see a young person and, and they die. You know, that could be me. I vividly remember getting called into the ER for a 34-year-old female that was found down. So I went down to the ER. I remember seeing her and thinking, wow, she's really young. She could be me or my friend or my sister. She was unresponsive, you know, to touch. I would yell out her name. She didn't respond. The only thing that she would do when I would give her any kind of painful stimulation is 
basically extend her arms and her legs, something called extensor posturing, which to us is a bad sign, meaning that there's severe damage going on in the brain. I was thinking, does she have a clot sitting in her basilar artery? And the basilar artery supplies the back part of the brain, which is critical. So the nurses were getting lab stat. We were getting imaging done of her brain as well as her uh, blood vessels. I took a look at it, and she did have a basilar clot. So right then and there, she was taken immediately to the interventional suite. They were able to get the clot out, and she was able to walk out in a couple days. Everything probably quickly happened all within maybe 30, 30 minutes. I am a board-certified neurologist as well as a stroke neurologist and a neurointensivist. I was a neurology resident at the George Washington Hospital University ER. We would get multiple strokes per day. I remember going into the ER, seeing one stroke patient, and then two more stroke patients being wheeled in. And I liked that fast-paced decision-making process. And I realized at that point, I liked the acute aspects of neurology rather than the slower aspects of neurology, like headache or neuromuscular diseases. You can help them right away and make a difference where it's a difference of them being paralyzed on one side versus walking out. 1.9 million neurons are actually killed every minute that a stroke is left untreated. Time is really important. Time is sensitive and time is brain. When I leave from work, I try to leave work at work. I'm, I try not to be on my cell phone or check things. I'm able to really separate that pretty well because of the urgency I have at work. When I'm at home, really appreciate just the small little things that I have with each of my kids, as well as, you know, spending quality time with my husband, making sure we do date nights and, and communicate. I just go by it day by day as well. I think, you know, life is short, and so you want to make the most of your time while you're here. I want to thank my lucky stars for people like Dr. Kim Tenzer. When I feel stressed and under pressure, sometimes I want to run as far away from the situation as I can. She focuses on the situation and gets shit done. Like saving people's brains. That's not just badass, that's extraordinary. Time is so important in all aspects of our lives, from the emergency room to the break room. Ladies, it's very well documented that women across the globe do more domestic work hours weekly than men do. Women on average still do 54% of the work at home compared to the 22% of the work that their male counterparts do. And guess what? That difference grows when children are factored in. We spend so much time doing the invisible work that makes our communities thrive. And at the end of the day, we often get very little recognition for it, from our families, society, and sometimes even ourselves. It's just expected of us. Eve Rodsky thinks about time all of the time. Specifically, how couples divvy up their time and who takes responsibility in a household for tasks from start to finish. This story is called The Case of the Drunk Man's Jacket. About a year ago, I had to take a one-day trip to Seattle for work. And on the way to the airport, I received the following text message from my husband. A guy left a jacket and a beer bottle on our lawn. 
That's it. No pleasantries. Just that information. Okay. That's weird and gross, I thought. What am I supposed to do with that information from the road? I proceeded to work a very long day. And then I returned home 16 hours later. I had completely forgotten about the text until I pulled into my driveway. And there they were, a dude's jacket and beer bottle still on our front lawn. Okay, do you remember there's a scene in Shawshank Redemption where the main character, Andy, is in the rain and he sort of drops to his knees and starts screaming? Well, that's his liberation, but it was like that for me, just opposite. It was a, why the fuck is this jacket and beer bottle still on my front lawn? I decided to give my husband the benefit of the doubt. I began thinking, okay, maybe he had to work late, and so he didn't get a chance to pick up the wet jacket and broken beer bottle. Or maybe he was just trapped under a rock. I don't know. But I gave him the benefit of the doubt as I lugged my carry-on up the stairs to my bedroom. But guess what? I found him there, and he wasn't trapped under a rock. And he hadn't worked late. What I learned from him reporting to me, after the kids went to sleep, he'd had four and a half hours to work out, to watch the second half of a playoff game, and to respond to a shitload of work emails. It became crystal clear that the text that began the story from 16 hours earlier wasn't a... Can you fucking believe this? This weird dude left his jacket and beer bottle on our lawn. It was a, I don't have time for this shit, so this is on you. Okay, so while you, with your time, get to choose how you use it, responding to emails, watching the second half of a playoff game, working out, me, I'm expected to use the 15 minutes left of my day to grab some rubber gloves, a trash bag, walk down the stairs, walk out to the front lawn in the dark, drop the gross jacket and broken beer bottle into a garbage bag, walk around the house to the alley, open the bin, drop that garbage bag into the bin, walk back around, and come in the door. And I did that because it was gross, and I didn't want it to be there, and I didn't want my kids to start playing with a beer bottle that maybe, you know, shattered. So I did it. But my act of resistance that night was to time myself. And that act, from rubber glove to alley and back, took 12 minutes of my time. And then I started thinking about 12 minutes of my time times thousands of other this is on use. There is a perception that men's time is finite and yet a woman's time is infinite. And here's how we use our time. We donate old clothes and we buy new ones for our kids. We schedule their haircuts. We pay the bills. We book dental appointments and well visits. We plan and pack for travel. We manage the family calendar. We research and register kids for camp. 
We arrange for school drop-offs and pickups. We fill out all those compulsory school forms. And we even retrieve drunk guys' jackets and beer bottles from the front lawn. And the crazy thing is that this is shit that has to get done. And yet these contributions to your family's life aren't often visible to your partner, and sometimes not even to you. And on top of it, these tasks eat up hours and hours of your time that could otherwise be used to benefit your career or your passions. What might not be so clear, because it wasn't to me that night, was why was this on me? I'm the product of a single mother who vowed that I would have an equal partner. Why was this shit on me? Two-thirds of what it takes to run a domestic household and to raise kids falls on women, regardless of whether they work outside the home. So that shows you how men may not value women's time. But society doesn't value women's time. Not only are we paid less, each child chops off 4% of a woman's hourly wages. On the flip side, men's earnings increase by 6% when they become fathers. So where do we go from here? We've been talking about this problem of invisible work for 40 years. What is the solution? For every woman who's tried to get stuff off her plate by making a giant list and trying to hand it over, I understand why that never worked for you. The very notion of articulating and rebalancing the hundreds of small and large to-dos of any given day requires more thought and time than you probably already have in your constrained life. I'm a practitioner that works day-to-day with highly complex organizations. And why is it that our most important ecosystem, our most important organization, our domestic ecosystem, has no organizational management principles applied to it? So the solution is to apply tried-and-true organizational management principles to the home. And it all starts with what I call CPE. So what do I mean by that? Let's talk about mustard. You notice in your refrigerator that you're low on mustard. And in your mind, you know that your child really loves mustard on his hot dog. That's conception. Then, because you notice that the mustard is low, you then pick up a pen and place mustard on your grocery list. That's planning. Then, Someone has to get their ass to the grocery store and pick up the mustard. That's execution. The problem is that up until today, all we focus on is the execution. The actual, I went to the grocery store to pick up the mustard. When the resentment lives in the conception and planning. What each of us can do is close our eyes and think about what are each of our drunk man's jackets. And then all that time is your time. It is your time back to use to pursue your career so that you stay committed to the workforce, so that you stay committed to your passions and what makes you uniquely you. That's the value of reclaiming our time. Yes, we need to reclaim our time, ladies. Thank you, Eve Rodsky, for reminding us. And thank you, of course, to our time-reclaiming hero, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. 
with the reclaiming House Intel time, Committee, with the Senate time, Judiciary reclaiming Committee. Okay. Reclaiming my fact, time. Okay. Matter of fact, Mr. Secretary, the, time. the time belongs to the gentlelady from California. Never forget it, ladies. Each minute you give of yourself means something. It all matters. That's if we value our time. I have a feeling so many of us were nodding along so hard at the drunk man's jacket story. You can tell us how you feel about it. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Hello Sunshine. Use the hashtag HowItIs. And now that you've heard how it is, visit Hello-Sunshine.com to read, learn, and get involved in the conversation. On this episode of How It Is, you heard from Maria Menunos, Dr. May Kim Tenser, and Eve Rodsky. On our next episode, we're wrapping up this season with a conversation about living our values, taking all the good stuff that matters most and putting it into practice every single day. You might just recognize one of our storytellers as one of the voices from our childhood, Sonia Manzano, a.k.a. Maria from Sesame Street. There were no people of color on television. There was, We were invisible. Latinos were totally invisible. So when Sesame Street cast me as Maria, I remembered that. And I always thought that there was some other little Latina girl out there watching me and thinking, wow, there is some other Latins in the world besides me. Have you rated us on Apple Podcasts yet? Well, what are you waiting for? If you love the show, get yourself over to applepodcast.com slash hello sunshine and give us five stars. Cinco estrellas. It helps other people find us. And while you're there, leave us a review and tell us your favorite part of the season. How It Is is a production of Hello Sunshine. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi, Charlotte Coe, Rebecca Lair, and Reese Witherspoon. Our senior producers are Jillian Ferguson and Kara Hart. Our development producer is Mary Phillips Sandy. Sound designed by Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our theme song, Queen, is written and performed by Victoria Canal. That's right. The time belongs to the gentle lady from California. California.